Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to As Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. Friends, I'm so excited to have you here for season two. This podcast started in 2019 and so many of you have been here from the very beginning. But we are entering a new chapter in the As Woman story as this is now season two. Every other episode has always been categorized as season one. And I want to take a quick minute for a reintroduction and to explain why season two is here. So season two is now when the As A Woman podcast has had a little bit of a pivot. We are under the Podcast Nation family, which I am so excited about. This is going to allow my personal mission of fertility education, awareness, and advocacy to grow and expand and reach even more people. If you are new, I am Dr. Natalie Crawford. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and REI, that's a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility doctor. This means that I did medical school, I actually did a year-long internship in emergency medicine before I switched and realized that women's health was my true passion, completed four years of OBGYN training, and then a three-year fellowship to become a fertility doctor. I now practice in Austin, Texas at Fora Fertility, which is a practice I started with my fabulous partner. I am online at Natalie Crawford MD, and I am promoting education about fertility. This podcast was a way for you to deep dive into topics that pertain to your body, your health, your fertility, and your hormones. And we are going to continue doing that. The podcast is really going to focus in on these health, hormone, and fertility topics, And we're going to have some new segments that are going to be really exciting and include the audience, you and your questions even more. Examples include fertility in the news, where we talk about all the things that could impact fertility health and reproductive health, whether it's political, in the news, celebrity, trending topics. I'm going to be breaking down those. And then also... FFS for fertility's sake, your Q&A. So I will be posting some questions on my Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and we will be answering them together because I think sometimes you have questions that you don't even know exist. And it's my passion and my mission to make sure that you understand your body in the absolute best way possible. And so that is what, as a woman, fertility hormones and beyond is really going to be about. This podcast is going to focus in on fertility-based issues 
and really educate you to the best of our abilities. We will include special guest episodes, and I think you're going to love hearing other stories, learning from their experience, and breaking down the stigma that we see with infertility. As a Woman Season 1 will still exist and you will always be able to listen to those episodes, they include a wealth of fertility knowledge on basic topics and also some empowering issues that I feel like women in general need to think about, such as imposter syndrome, quitting things that don't serve you, saying no, using your voice, and essentially supporting other women. So those will all still be there, but we are just going to focus in on my true passion with this podcast from here forward. So if you are listening and you're a longtime supporter or you are very brand new, I would love it if you would share. So please consider sharing this podcast. You may be your longtime listener, but put it on Instagram, help us gain traction, share it to the people in your life. If you're a physician, oh, the most meaningful thing to me is when you come up to me and you tell me you share it with your patients. The fact that you trust my educational information and you share it with your patients, there is absolutely no better compliment. So let's all keep learning and growing and breaking down barriers and helping to become as educated as we can about our bodies, our health, our fertility, and our hormones. Today's episode is all about testing your fertility. Should you get your fertility tested? What does that mean? And what are you going to do with the information? But before we dive in, we're going to start with our first segment of the day, fertility in the news. So I want you to know that a Louisiana senator named Bill Cassidy, he is a Republican. He was being interviewed by Politico and the following words were said, about a third of our population is African-American. African-Americans have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. So if you correct our population for race, we're not as much of an outlier as it would otherwise appear. Now, I say that not to minimize the issue, but to focus the issue as to where it would be. For whatever reason, people of color have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. Now, the reality is, there's a lot to unpack in this statement. First of all, we shouldn't be stratifying mortality rates saying that in white women or non-African American women, they're fine, so we shouldn't worry about it. But probably more concerning is the fact that he said the words, for whatever reason, as if we don't know why there is higher mortality rates for African Americans. We actually do know why. It is racism and implicit bias. The fact is that Black mothers are three times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related complication than white mothers in the United States. The United States has the worst mortality rate in any developed nation, and 17 mothers die for every 100,000 pregnancies. In Louisiana specifically, the state in which he is a senator, black mothers are four times more likely to die than white mothers. When he had a follow-up question asking how Roe versus Wade being overturned would affect maternal mortality rates, he dismissed it. Listen to this. If we're using abortion to limit maternal deaths, that's kind of an odd way to approach the problem. Well, in reality, it's not an odd way, meaning pregnancy is not a health-neutral situation. Anybody, anybody can die in pregnancy. Giving birth and being pregnant takes a huge toll on the body. 
your blood volume changes, you have a risk for hemorrhage, risk of infection, risk of pulmonary embolism, amniotic fluid embolism. There's a multitude of complications, preeclampsia, seizure, stroke, that you may not even realize can exist. And that's not even including higher risk patients who either have less access to prenatal care, untreated medical conditions, or known diseases which can become extremely complicated in pregnancy, such as kidney disease, lupus, cancer treatments, or more. In addition to how terrible it is that Louisiana is trying to wrap contraception, birth control pills, IUDs into their abortion ban, which should start at fertilization if it passes, the fact that this statement came out of a doctor's mouth, he's also a medical doctor, Dr. Bill Cassidy, is outrageous in a state that has the actual highest level of maternal mortality for a black woman who is pregnant. And if we just think about the fact, why does this happen? It is that overall, black mothers are not taken seriously about their complaints. Their pain is dismissed. Their signs and symptoms of medical problems are ignored by healthcare professionals. That's not a new issue. It's been an ongoing one. But for somebody to come up and say, if you don't count black women, we're doing fine, is an outrageous statement for somebody who's both a medical professional and a senator in our country. We need to be demanding more from our politicians. So no matter what you think or how you feel about abortion, you should think and feel that pregnancy is not a health neutral state and that we need to be not dismissing a higher incidence of maternal mortality and the impact that restricting contraceptive access and abortion will have on this maternal mortality, but instead thinking about solutions so that pregnant people in this country, specifically African-American mothers, do not suffer from a higher chance of dying during their pregnancy or their childbirth. This is an ongoing issue, but specifically, we should all be contacting his office. And if you're in the state of Louisiana, your voice should be very loud. Louisiana office phone number 225-929-7711. All right. And that is your fertility in the news. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. 
I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. Moving on, we are going to talk about should you get your fertility tested. This is actually something that many patients are going to OBGYNs and asking for. And some of my OBGYN friends are asking, what does this mean and what do I do? And I know that probably makes you have very confused take on, wait, my OBGYN doesn't even know what it means to test my fertility. And it's a complicated question. And that's why I want you to understand it. The reality is that ACOG, the American College of OBGYN, does not recommend fertility testing in people who are not trying to get pregnant. I personally disagree with them on this stance. Their thought is that low rates of ovarian reserve, or the number of eggs that you have, are not correlated with natural fertility, so the test does not provide meaning. It only is a scare tactic. I, however, believe strongly that sometimes a piece of data might make you make a different decision. Therefore, it could be a very valuable and impactful piece of information. Most of us who are asking for fertility testing when we are not trying to get pregnant are thinking about a blood test called AMH. AMH is anti-mullerian hormone. The way I like to think about this is that if you imagine inside the ovary, there is a vault where groups of eggs live. When you're born, that's where all your eggs are. You have the highest number of eggs in the vault. Throughout your life, eggs exit the vault. And when the vault is empty, you're an ovarian failure or menopause. What actually happens is every month, a group of eggs is all released from the vault. That group is considered a cohort of eggs from which one will be selected to ovulate, the rest will die, and the next month, another group will be selected to be released from the vault. Now, the size of that group is proportional to how many are inside, meaning when your vault is very full, it sends out a lot of eggs every month. And when your vault is not full, it sends out very few eggs every month. So the number of eggs that are outside the vault is a reflection of how many you have remaining inside. And it's not perfect because there's going to be some natural variability month to month, but it is a good way or one of the only ways we have to try to decide where you are in the spectrum of running out of eggs. This is only one component of your fertility, but for everybody at some point, you will run out of eggs and then your doors close. The window of opportunity of which you have to grow your family, it'll be done. It'll be closed. That part of your life will be over. So everybody runs out of eggs at a different pace. And the nice thing is we can't see inside the vault, but we can check and evaluate the eggs that are outside the vault. So when we do that, what we're thinking about 
is we can check a follicle count. This is called an antral follicle count or an AFC. The follicles are what the eggs grow inside. So eggs are microscopic and you can't see them, but you can see an individual follicle and there should be one egg inside each follicle. So if I go and I count the follicles, that's a representation of how many eggs have been released from the vault. And we have numbers that are averages for different age ranges. So we can say this is average for your age, this is above average, or this is below average. We also have a blood test called AMH or anti-Mullerian hormone. AMH is made from the cells that surround all of those follicles. So when there are more follicles inside the vault, there are more follicles outside the vault, and there is going to be higher AMH. And when there's fewer follicles inside the vault, there are fewer follicles outside the vault, and you'll have a lower AMH. This is affectionately known as ovarian reserve testing. Think about it as how many eggs are left behind inside the ovary. This is an important component of your reproductive life, but it actually does not impact natural fertility. And that is why it's so confusing when you say you want fertility testing. Because a great study called Time to Conceive evaluated women who are 30 and older who are trying to get pregnant and just observed natural fertility rates. So these were people who did not have infertility. They were just starting to try to get pregnant and they were stratified based on their AMH, meaning the study knew what their AMH values were before they tried to get pregnant. And there was no difference in conception rates, meaning your chances of getting pregnant were the same based on your age category regardless of what your AMH or your ovarian reserve was. So you'll often hear doctors say, AMH does not reflect your fertility or your natural fertility. And that's true. Having a low AMH does not cause you to have a higher chance of not getting pregnant unless you have period abnormalities. Or what we often think about is what if you're not ready to get pregnant? Or what if you're trying to get pregnant, but you want more than one child? Maybe it doesn't make a difference for right now, but what if you might be out of eggs before you have baby two or three? Or what if you would do something different? Let's pretend you're like me and you got married at a younger age. So I got married at 24 and I was in medical school, but I knew I was not anywhere near ready to have kids for a long time. We didn't start trying for children until I was 30. So in a scenario like me, if I had found out that my AMH was low, we easily could have started trying to have children earlier. Even though in my perfect world, I wanted to chase my career and get through a piece of residency first, had I known that information, I might've made a different plan. Or let's pretend I wasn't ready to get pregnant. Maybe I didn't get married at 24, or maybe I just absolutely couldn't handle it with the stress and the burden of residency. Well, then I could have considered freezing my eggs. Now, back when egg freezing was not a thing, meaning it was still experimental and you couldn't just walk into the fertility doctor and ask to freeze your eggs, this is a little more controversial. But in the modern world, we need to make sure our recommendations are keeping up. So despite the fact that ACOG says you shouldn't offer ovarian reserve testing to people who are not trying to get pregnant, I completely disagree with that. I say offer it with appropriate counseling, meaning if you are not trying to get pregnant and you want testing of your ovarian reserve, I think it's absolutely appropriate. That being said, I want you to think about what you're going to do with that information. 
Meaning if it comes back abnormal, are you prepared to act? And that can mean different things. Maybe it means try to get pregnant sooner. Maybe it means come to acceptance if you potentially need donor egg. Maybe it means freezing your eggs or freezing embryos. Maybe it means just going to see a fertility doctor. So you have to be prepared with what you'll do with that data. And if the only thing you're going to do is be upset and anxious and fret and worry about it, then maybe it's not a good test for you. But if it's going to be a useful piece of data, and y'all know me, I love, love, love data. It is very crucial. I always say you can't make decisions on data you don't know, meaning what you think you may do in one situation may not at all be what you would actually do when the reality is that situation comes true. And so that data is helpful in my opinion, and that's how I counsel patients. A few other important things to understand about ovarian reserve testing, namely AMH, is that it reflects the current status quo, which may not be a constant. So let's think about it this way. If I tell you in your age range, it is normal to have about 16 eggs coming out of the vault every month. That would mean one of these eggs would ovulate and 15 of them would die. And then the next month, another group would come back out. Now, average means sometimes things are above average and sometimes things are below average. But each month, you have an actual number of eggs that come out of the vault. So it might be 16, then 15, then 19, then 14, then 16, then 17, then 13, then 20, right? It's going to average But in any given month, we don't know if this is your best month, your worst month, or your average month. And so we usually like data from two different time points, meaning one is an antral follicle count or an AFC, actually counting those follicles, and the other is an AMH blood test. So I really like to use them both in conjunction together to determine the category. Are we average, above average, below average, or critically low? Remembering that every month, Our values can actually hop around a little bit and nothing is going to be constant, nor is it perfectly linear. Yes, if we step back over time, everybody runs out of eggs, meaning at some point you will run out of eggs. But I'll often see people have an AMH checked years ago and that was normal and they check one with me and then it's abnormal and then they do a math mental calculation and try to decide when will they be out of eggs altogether. And that's not how it works either. Think about it as a fluctuation up and down around an average. But if you step back and you look over years of time, yes, everybody runs out of eggs. And that loss tends to be more accelerated the older we get. A few other things about AMH testing is that it is dependent on the status of the ovary. Namely being if you are on birth control pills, birth control pills work by telling the brain to not send out any FSH. FSH is a hormone called follicle-stimulating hormone. It's a well-named hormone, and what FSH does is it stimulates one of those follicles or one of those eggs to grow and then ovulate. Well, when you take the pill, what happens is the brain is not sending out any FSH, so all of the follicles or all of the eggs that come out of the vault, they just die, and then the next month, another group comes out. You do not lose more or lose less. Birth control pills neither hurt nor help your fertility, meaning they do not prolong the eggs in the vault. They're still coming out, just nobody is being stimulated to ovulate, so everything dies. However, 
Chronic suppression of FSH can sometimes cause the ovary to become a little quiet, meaning those cells surrounding the follicles do not produce as much AMH. And so do I check AMH on people on birth control pills? I do. But I always use the caveat and kind of explain that, hey, if it comes back normal and you've been taking the birth control pill for 10 years, great. We're both going to feel really good. This may be the accurate value or it might be a little bit suppressed, but either way, it's good. Now, if it comes back abnormal and it's low, we will have to decide what to do about it. One option is just to stop and use another form of contraception. So let's say stop the pill, give it two or three months, use condoms, and then repeat an AMH. And that might tell us if this has suppressed you or not. And I've seen it go both ways, meaning it might be accurately low. And then we have a decision to make about what we're going to do. Or it may be perfectly normal after you stop the pill. So I just think that's a very important factor if you are preventing a pregnancy yet considering getting your fertility checked or getting an AMH blood draw to understand. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. So I like to think of ovarian reserve testing, AMH, and antral follicle count as important factors in crafting your plan. The what am I going to do? Because these factors reflect back on what is your goal? When are you ready to have kids? Could you be ready sooner? Are you prepared to freeze your eggs? How many kids do you want? How old are you? And what makes sense with the entire family plan? Certainly, if you are young and you have a low AMH, you might still be very fertile. Maybe you've never tried to get pregnant and getting pregnant will be no big deal, but maybe you want four kids and we need to talk about preserving your fertility in order to have that family size that you want. So it's really one component that you're going to need somebody to interpret for the entire decision. And I recommend anybody who gets a low value on AMH goes and sees a fertility specialist to complete the fertility workup and talk about what this means. So what does that mean to complete the fertility workup and why does your doctor not always check it? One of these is a test to see if your fallopian tubes are open. When we talk about your fallopian tubes, they can be blocked from a variety of causes. Infection, inflammation, so things like a chlamydia infection or a diagnosis of endometriosis, a ruptured appendix, or any other inflammatory process like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, sometimes we see blocked fallopian tubes. This can sometimes be painful and this can sometimes be asymptomatic. 
So sometimes in a patient who comes to me for fertility testing, who harbors one of these diagnoses in their past, meaning you had chlamydia or you have endometriosis or you were really sick in the hospital with some type of infection, then we talk about, hey, maybe we should just check your fallopian tubes. Now, why would we do that? If you're not trying to get pregnant right now, why do you care if your tubes are open? That's what they say. Here's what I say. I care a lot because if your fallopian tubes are both blocked, we know that no matter what, if you want to have your own genetic child, you're going to have to do IVF. Fallopian tubes cannot be unblocked. This means we're going to have to take the eggs, get them to grow, take them out of your body, fertilize them in a lab, grow out embryos, and put an embryo back into your uterus through the vagina, through the cervix. So therefore, we are bypassing the fallopian tubes. If we remember in nature, the fallopian tube captures the egg after it has been released for ovulation, and that's where fertilization occurs and early embryo development. So the tube has a very crucial environment for early embryo development. And if those tubes do not function and you know you need IVF, we know IVF outcomes are tightly, tightly correlated with your age. Age is the number one predictor of fertility success overall and with infertility treatments. So one common myth is that IVF can overcome your age. And that's not true at all. IVF is often used as we get older because it is a more effective and efficient way to get pregnant because you can use genetic testing and rule out genetic abnormalities that start to become a rate limiting step to conception after age 35, but it can't overcome age alone. Every person reaches an age where even IVF will not be able to result in normal embryos or a pregnancy because you can only make the eggs that have already been released from the vault. You can only stimulate those to grow and take them out of the body. And when you fertilize them and grow them out to embryos, not every egg is going to fertilize. Not every fertilized egg will make it into an embryo. Not every embryo will be genetically normal. And not every genetically normal embryo will implant. So the live birth rate per egg is like 5 to 8%, depending on how old you are when those eggs are extracted. So it's a very inefficient process, human reproduction. And IVF does not fix that, but it does improve the efficiency because we're able to find those eggs or those embryos that have the highest rate of turning into a baby. Now, age-related infertility is a huge thing to understand. And what that means is I like to think about the eggs in that vault. Your chromosomes are held in a perfect place and they're held apart by these little meiotic spindles. What happens is that they are sitting like that from the moment you're born and they don't divide until you go to ovulate. So that's why when you ovulate at age 18, your chromosomes are strong, just like the proteins in your whole body. They're held in the perfect place. But when you ovulate at 42, they've been sitting there for 42 years and your proteins are much more likely to break down and not be normal anymore. And this is why age-related fertility is a thing. You have a lower chance of conception as you get older and a higher rate of miscarriage, resulting in a much lower life birth rate. This is why if we say, what is the definition of infertility? If you're under age 35, we say trying to get pregnant for 12 months of regular periods without a pregnancy, that counts. Or if you're over age 35, trying to get pregnant for six months without getting pregnant, 
that counts, and you should see a fertility doctor at either of these metrics. And the current recommendation is that if you're age 40 or older, you should just come see us first, and we should test these variety of factors so that we understand what we have because time is such a precious resource. The other part of a fertility evaluation is if you're partnered. So if you're not partnered, that's it. We talk about your ovarian reserve, your AMH, and your antral follicle count. We consider is doing an HSG or an X-ray dye test to evaluate your fallopian tubes. Is that worthwhile? Depending on your clinical history. But if you're partnered, we might consider adding in a semen analysis. The semen analysis is the best test to find out if there's any male factor involved. When we do a semen analysis, we evaluate the concentration, the motility, the shape, and the volume of the sperm. And we use these to calculate values where we think if the sperm will be adequate for conception in the body, in the lab, or do you need help to try to generate more sperm to develop, and do you need certain hormones tested? So it is a great way to understand the fertility of a male. So if you're partnered, we often recommend a semen analysis, because if you're not trying yet, maybe there's medications that can help it get better, or lifestyle changes. If it is severely abnormal, or what if there's no sperm? You guys are going to have to really have a heart-to-heart talk about what that's going to mean for your family building. So if you're single, obviously we can't do that. But if you have a partner, then we would recommend a semen analysis to wrap up the fertility testing. So here is my best advice. Do I like when people ask for fertility testing? I do, but I think sometimes you have to explain what you might do with that data. So if you go to your OBGYN and you ask for fertility testing, it might be easier to say, can we check my egg count or my ovarian reserve? Could you draw an AMH blood test? I'd really like to know if I have a normal egg count for now or not, and that might help me make some plans for the future. Could we do a test of my fallopian tubes because I had chlamydia in the past? Or I had that bad endometriosis surgery when I was a teenager. I'd really love to know if my tubes are opened, or should I consider egg freezing? Those are questions that are very answerable and make a lot of sense, and it's not as vague as fertility testing. The other thing is we have to be prepared with what we're going to do with the information. Getting results back that you have a low AMH, that can be really disturbing, and it can be upsetting. I completely know how that feels. However, you have options, and that data can be empowering if you use it to either change your plan, come up with a new plan, or set in action something you might not have had you not taken the test. So I think that that information can be very, very powerful. Okay, well now it's time for FFS, for fertility's sake. These are your questions and answers. These questions are submitted on Instagram, so follow along at Natalie Crawford MD, and you will be able to ask your own questions in the question box. I will answer a few every week just so we can all learn together. Question number one, is low sperm count reversible? Is IVF with ICSI likely the best protocol? So a low sperm count, I'm going to presume we mean concentration. That's the number of sperm that are present per milliliter of semen. There are normal values, meaning we think this value might be suitable for natural fertilization, sperm fertilizing egg in the fallopian tube in the body. And then there's a mild abnormality where it's slightly low, and then there are severe abnormalities. Sometimes mild abnormalities can be because of medications or toxins or lifestyle impacts. So a good example is marijuana use. Has been associated with lower concentrations, 
of sperm and overall poorer quality of sperm than men who don't use marijuana. And this is because marijuana can suppress the brain and suppress the hormones that drive sperm production in the testes. So that's something where changing a lifestyle factor may improve sperm concentration. Another example is that sometimes you have low sperm counts purely because the testes are not responding to the hormones appropriately. You could have low testosterone. And although testosterone itself will prevent future sperm from developing, it's like male birth control. There are medications such as Clomid or HCG that can actually stimulate the testes to make more testosterone and more sperm and can improve concentration. So sometimes there are lifestyle or medical interventions that can improve a low sperm count. IVF with ICSI though is definitely the best if you have a persistently low sperm count. So IVF again is when you take the eggs out of the body and you fertilize one with a single sperm. That is ICSI. ICSI is ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And when you have low sperm counts, you definitely want to be able to take a single sperm, isolate it, crack open the egg with a little laser and push that sperm into the middle of the egg so you get the highest fertilization rates. And so sometimes there's no medication or lifestyle change that can improve sperm counts. And we're truly at a place where IVF with ICSI is what we need to overcome that male factor. Okay, question number two. How long do you recommend waiting after you have a miscarriage? I think this is a really good question and I get asked this all the time. And I have an entire YouTube video on what to do after you've had a miscarriage and when you can try again. So you can feel free to check that out. The YouTube channel is Natalie Crawford MD. But in short, there's no reason why you should have to wait any length of time if you have a normal miscarriage, meaning you start bleeding, the miscarriage recovers, I let my patients try again right away. Now, sometimes there are reasons why you might have to wait a period of time if you had a surgical intervention, if they're following your hormone levels down to zero, or if you had to get methotrexate for a pregnancy of unknown location or an ectopic pregnancy. So definitely ask your doctor for your situation, but there's no across the board rule that you have to wait X amount of time before you get pregnant. Question number three, how long after coming off long acting reversible contraception, like an IUD or an implant, should my period be back to normal? So this is a good question. These medications work differently, but what they do is they prevent the body from being able to ovulate in the case of Nexplanon, or with a progesterone-based IUD such as Mirena or Skyla or Kylina, it'll thin out the lining of the uterus so you might not get periods, and it sometimes can prevent ovulation depending on you and your body and how sensitive you are. A copper IUD does none of the above. It's truly just an inflammatory reaction inside the uterus that makes the environment less hospitable for sperm. So fertilization can't occur and implantation can't occur. But there's no actual change to your periods or to ovulation. So your period should be perfectly normal after taking out a copper IUD. It should not impact things at all. When you remove one of the other long-acting reversible forms of contraception that have hormones in them, I usually tell people it could take up to about three months to start having your periods come back and be regular. If you've been off for three months and you've not had a period or it's not regular, that's a good time to go see a doctor just to make sure there's nothing else at play. Certainly, we all see people who have underlying ovulation disorders or they've gone into ovarian failure while they were on their long-acting contraception. Not due to it, just coincidentally, but they had no idea. So I usually say if you have it by three months, that's a good time to go get an evaluation. And question number four, 
I am 28 and I'm thinking about freezing my eggs next year. Should I wait or should I do it this year? Okay, this is my general take on egg freezing and I have lots of content out there about it. The best time to do it is whenever you're thinking about it. Meaning, you're the youngest you're going to be and you have the most eggs that you're ever going to have right now. So if you're thinking this is going to be on your game plan, I would just recommend doing it now. The short answer, do you have to do it? Well, be it that you're 28, maybe not, but I would certainly go consider getting that fertility evaluation we talked about because if your egg count ended up being low for your age, you'd be really upset if you waited an extra year or two and you got less eggs per cycle. So this could be a scenario where you get your ovarian reserve tested. If it's normal, you feel comfortable waiting another year or so. And if it is not normal, you just go ahead and proceed with egg freezing now. In general, we recommend consideration of freezing your eggs by age 32, 33 if you're not ready to start trying to get pregnant. However, sooner is always better if you have the availability and the means to do so. Your eggs will be better quality and you will have more of them when you're younger. And that's it for FFS. Remember to submit your questions on Instagram so I can answer them each week. Thank you all for listening to As A Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. Hey guys, welcome to The Collective. I'm Brian Halfrich, a 26-year-old bioethics PhD student and clothing brand CEO. Welcome to my podcast where we talk all things health and wellness, navigating your 20s, and becoming the best version of yourself. So sit down, play that episode, and join The Collective.